At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. So for the residential techs that are looking into getting into commercial service, which a lot of them are, because I get a lot of messages, how do I get into commercial service? Well, myself, Matt Waxer, and Jason Norman are going to have a conversation around commercial service, maybe some of the differences between resi and commercial, and some of the, the things in commercial you have to deal with, like potentially going to get a tool from your truck when you're on a roof after you've gone through security and this and that. And basically, you're gone for 30 minutes to 40 minutes just to get a tool from your truck. It happens, trust me. So it's unlike Resi where you pull up, you're on you're on the driveway, the laneway, or beside the unit, like 15, 20 feet from your van. That is what I like about residential. You're so close to your tools and your vehicle. When you're in commercial, it can be a lot different. And this is the discussion we're going to have, just sort of the ins and outs, experiences in commercial service. So stay tuned, guys. This is the HVAC Note All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by Master Group, and I was just in their training lab making a video of the Supco ECM Pro. What a cool tool that is. And I did the the video, a little how-to, and their training lab is all set up. They got a residential training lab. They got a hydronics training lab. So if you guys are in the Toronto area, even if you're somewhere else and you want to come in for some training, I would get a hold of your local master rep and find out what trainings are available. This podcast is sponsored by Cintas. And listen, where I work out of right now, it's cool in the mornings, but hot in the daytime, especially in the afternoon. So we need a uniform solution where we're going to keep warm in the morning, but cool in the summer. So check out what Cintas has to offer for uniform solutions. Check out Cintas.com forward slash HVAC know it all. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Gentlemen, so uh, Jason, this is your first time on the podcast, so how are you feeling, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Gary. Appreciate it. Is this the first time on a podcast or have you been on a podcast before? I've been on a couple of different podcasts, uh, some HVAC R&D action and some nice uh, commercial kitchens with Pat Finley and um, sweet with Eric and um, oh my gosh, I've been on Make Trades Great Again with Eric and (laughs) I can't remember his name right now. Andy. Andy. Thank you. Sorry, Andy. Yeah. (laughs) That's all right. Anyway, so you're not a podcast virgin, which is... uh, Sometimes the, the the podcast versions they get sweaty palms when they're when they're on the podcast talking. We should be okay. I did I did the first podcast I was on anyway. So commercial service, Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Gary. Yourself? Um. Well, I told you off air. I'm just having some email issues and uh, just anyway. We won't we won't get into that. We want to get into commercial service and how it 
is kind of different. And, and there's a lot of residential techs out there that want to make the jump to commercial service. Now, I'll be honest, I made the jump from commercial service to doing a lot more residential service in the last year. And it's, they're, they're two different worlds. I'm telling you, they're, they are completely two different worlds. But, uh, today I was, I was on a commercial site. I was at a, a banquet hall slash kind of resort. And I looked at a rooftop. Then I looked at a walk-in cooler. Then I looked at an ice machine. And most of the stuff doesn't look like it's been maintained properly for years. So it looks like we got the ice machine going, but it needs some parts. Um, the walk-in cooler's got a leak. The evaporator's corroded. As soon as I walked into the walk-in cooler, as soon as I opened the door, the leak detector started beeping as soon as I walked in. I actually have a video of it, of me putting it through the, the curtains, the door curtains, pulling it back out, putting nice. it through, pulling it back out, and it goes off every time it pokes through the door curtain. So the evaporator... Were you doing that with the, uh, the Stratus detectors? I, I was doing it with the Stratus, yeah, just, just to see... cloud hunting? I, I wasn't on cloud hunting mode when I did that. I was on um, just the regular... I guess they call it pinpoint mode. Yep. Anyway, it's it still picks up um, refrigerant in the air. So, um, and then you got to back it out so it can re-zero itself, put it back in, and and that's what I did. So anyway, it looks like they're getting uh, a new walk-in cooler system and a new rooftop because it's still R twenty two carrier. Uh, it's just old, cracked heat exchanger. Cooling's not working properly. We can get it up and running, but the guys don't want to um, spend money on it. So Jason, you had kind of a cool perspective on just the whole game of commercial and how it's a little bit different uh, from, let's say, residential. And maybe I'll let you start because um, you're, you're, this is the first time on the podcast and I'm going to let you roll with it off, off the hop. All right, let's get into it. Um, I, work, I worked a little bit of residential as well. So um, if I had to choose, I would definitely choose like larger commercial Um there's a lot more stress, to be honest, with larger commercial. Um, like if you're working in large walk-in coolers or freezers, or if you're working in um, some large like uh, manufacturing facilities that have very tight temperature and humidity and space pressure tolerances, it's really nice, clean work. Um, the customer is basically forced to look after the equipment, so you get to be very familiar with it. But the downside is when something goes wrong, it doesn't matter what day, what the outside weather is, what you got going on. You need to go and you need to go right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was in that space for a while. I, I did server rooms. I did walk-ins for, um, for pharmaceutical, even, even a clean room equipment and stuff like that. Little mini, uh, heater chillers. I did all that stuff. And you're right. When you get into a building and you're maintaining it and they're kind of forced to maintain it, to keep up with their, uh, I guess, compliance. Yeah. You, you get a good handle on the equipment. And I mean, three or four maintenances in after you've fixed a bunch of stuff and, and you kind of get a good kind of feeling, you, you don't need to check everything that you can like, okay, this maintenance, I know it's, it's time to check this, this maintenance. I know it's time to check that when you're in a brand new building, for instance, like you're checking everything on everything because you want to do like, sort of like this deep dive sort of uh, once over of the of the unit but once you get everything up to running speed the way you want the way you want it to be running i mean it it's it makes it a lot easier to maintain going forward yeah there's i have some customers this might seem crazy for others to hear this but i have some customers that like 
I go by their site and do like a running inspection monthly. Um, maybe Gary, you, when your commercial passed, you had some customers like that, but it's kind of nice. You build this rapport with the customer and yeah. they start to trust you. And then it's an easy conversation to like, when you find something that's not so great. And then the reality is once you're on those monthly maintenances or even quarterly maintenances, like you said earlier, Gary, like you start to learn the building and you have some time to do some extra stuff and take care of some issues and um, look at how you can maybe make things better and any sort of other recommendations you can think of. Yeah. I did monthlies for a while for a few different sites and they were the best, like oh yeah, four hour monthly, like on a Friday afternoon, like it's yep. just basically a a walk around, like open the doors, make sure there's no weird noises, checking this. And, and, and every month I would check sort of a different set of things, right? So this month I would check that, this month I would check that. And because you're there every month, you get a real good handle on on the repair and you can make a building run really, really smooth when, when you're there on a monthly basis because any little sound that's different, any little um, thing that's off is getting corrected right away. You keep the building um, up to par. And it's a little bit different with you, Matt, because you're kind of, you're, you're starting up, you're commissioning, but going from, you've done residential in, in the past, obviously for friends, family and, and all that kind of stuff. And the jump from residential to commercial from your perspective it demands it demands what demands more of something less of something what what does it demand in in your eyes so for me the jump is kind of similar to what jay was hitting on it's the equipment's bigger you have much more depending on the facility you're working on you have much more closer tolerances that you need to adhere to in terms of temperature control, humidity control, pressure control, whether that be on different pharmaceutical facilities or on different, say, medical grow facilities, there's a lot of things you need to pay very close attention to. And on the equipment, not only is it bigger, there's a lot more different safeties and components within it that you're going to need to familiarize yourself with and know how those operate. Also, hitting on Jay's point and what you were saying, Gary, when you're doing, say, monthly or even quarterly maintenances on a facility and that facility is yours to look after, you develop that really keen sense for how that building and how that equipment should perform, how it should sound, how it should operate. And additionally, you're building that rapport with the end user, your customer. And if, so long as you build that good, positive relationship with them, you can really, on a maintenance, it's your foot in the door for work generation and revenue. And you can just basically say, look, this needs to be fixed now. These other things, they can wait and we're going to have to, you know, bring them back up for attention or, you know, repair replacement later on down the line. You can kind of triage the list of repairs that need to be made to the equipment in a facility. Yeah. And one thing that I do like about some commercial aspects, especially when it's that high-end uh, critical equipment stuff, is when the customer is smart enough to put the capital up front for redundancy, right? Uh, I've worked in server rooms where they had no redundancy. You show up and everybody's panicking. Oh, you got to get this thing running right now. Like, you know what? I understand it. Like, you're in a pickle, but it's not really my fault because you didn't put in backup. 
if you if this room's so important to you, why don't you have any backup? Big time. Because when you go into a, a system that has backup or a, a room or a, a facility or whatever it is, it has backup. You are, you, your goal, there's no real emergency at that point. I mean, it's, hey, we noticed one of the, the systems is down or whatever. There was a noise. I shut it off. But the other one's running. It's fine. You can come on Monday, for instance, like if this is a Friday afternoon. And it's it relieves a headache from for everybody. And it actually probably reduces overall cost uh, over the, the, the time that, that machine those machines are in there. Because the downtime, depending on what you're doing, could cost. If it's a pharmaceutical walk-in, there could be $5 million of product in there. If you only have one cooler that goes down and you lose all that product, man, you, you should have spent the extra fifteen or 20000 to put another little system in there, three-ton unit or whatever it is in that walk-in box. Absolutely. I had a customer, they lost a, uh, just like a, a double door stand-up. So like maybe two domestic size fridges and they, um, relatively new piece of equipment and their team does the maintenance and cleaning of the coils for like the small little, um, packaged units. And so they actually had a temperature controller fail and it stayed, the cooler stayed running in cooling mode and they lost over a million dollars of insurable goods in just wow. a small little cooler. So but as much as that is like super stressful, like they'll come to me and they'll say, Hey, listen, like, how can we make this better for all the rest of our units? Or if it's for like, um, their walk-ins, I might say, Hey, listen, you know, we've been running great for five years. Um, the life expectancy on these condenser fans because they have fan cycling might be three to five. So maybe the next shutdown or maybe the next service, why don't we just schedule to replace them? Like, let's not wait for it to have a bearing seize up on us. And we all get all stressed because it's not running. We can schedule a downtime switch to the redundant system and then we can schedule it. Let's schedule downtime. I have lots of clean labs that are like the same way too, where like you, you'll show up and it's only running check. Like that piece of equipment only gets shut down at Christmas time and that's it. Like it's like, see you next year if something goes bad. So it's a lot of scheduling. Matt, you were going to jump in? Yeah, I was going to say for customers that you can build that rapport with that you're able to do proactive maintenance or, you know, have equipment like say like Armstrong pumps with their um, design envelope technology for predictive maintenance, having equipment that has that capability or technicians that have that rapport to establish a kind of proactive maintenance schedule with a customer is going to contribute a lot to minimal, if any, downtime, rather than a reactive maintenance program where you're getting called out, say, after doing a maintenance, oh, something just broke down. Well, yeah, we've noted over many maintenances that we should address this piece of equipment, but you guys, the customer wants to hold off until something breaks down before actually repairing anything. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a mentality that a lot of customers they, they have, and I don't know if it's coming from the top, if it's the, the people that, that's in charge of the money, if it's the budget they're given, if they don't know how to manage a budget, perhaps. I, I don't know what it is, but it, I've had both. I've had it where it's like, just fix it now, or it's like, how long do I have? I had one customer ask me, there was a, a boiler room downtown Toronto. There's two boilers, a few pumps, a um, few water heaters. And he said to me, can you give me a list of when each component is going to potentially fail so we can be proactive? And I'm like, 
I can't do that, man. I said, that transformer right there could fail tomorrow. It could fail in 10 years. I have no idea. And his, his assistant was with him. He's like, he's trying to explain to me better. He's like, he just means like approximate. I said, approximately tomorrow or approximately in 10 years from now. I can't <laughs> tell you. I said, I mean, there's going to be, we could do maintenance um, every day, really, on equipment. But there's going to be some components that will fail regardless of how much maintenance you do. How much maintenance can you do on a solid state device? It's clean. The connections are on. I mean, you could take your, you could take a thermal imager or something to it, but at some point, I mean, it's just going to fail and there's nothing you can do about it. So, I mean, that's why redundancy is super important and, and, um, your maintenance checks, predictive maintenance programs, um, like the Armstrong pumps, like you mentioned, they have their, the, oh my God, I'm, I can't remember what it's called now. And I just talked about it last week. It's a program that monitors the pump and will send out alerts to the customer if if the if anything's out of whack, like vibration, for instance, is one of them. If the vibration frequency increases to a certain point, um, they're going to say, "Hey, the vibrations increased. This could be wrong with your pump. Go check it out." Right. And that's also another thing that's uh, different across a lot of commercial equipment compared to residential. Speaking to you know, the residential techs who may be listening um, and thinking about making the jump is a lot of higher end commercial equipment will have some form of either building monitoring uh, system, whether that be backnet um, or some other form of building monitoring system or built into, say, like an Armstrong pump, the uh, design envelope technology that will send out alerts when something goes amiss or goes awry with the equipment. Pump manager is what it's called. Sorry, I just remembered. I didn't want to cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. It's all good. But then like, so for example, on a say pool dehumidification system um, built into some of their controllers on say Ceresco, Dectron or pool pack, they have a free web monitoring service and the web monitoring service can send alerts to the technicians if they have accounts set up to receive notifications from those systems. So again, that speaks to the predictive maintenance or being proactive potentially about, you know, you get an alert and you can look out, log on and see what's potentially going on with the system and then make a judgment call of if a technician actually needs to be dispatched to investigate further, or is it something that can be resolved within the programming mm-hmm. or the logic system of it? It's just another tool on a toolbox. Yeah, there's there's a lot of residential stuff that's starting to go that way now, like even just a regular smart thermostat can give you some of that information. Not, not a ton of it, but it can, hey, it, your furnace doesn't seem to be lighting, and I mean, we called for it half an hour ago type thing. So, I mean, that's not really proactive. It's kind of reactive. Uh, But there are things that are starting to come um, into the market that allows us to do that, that that are monitoring 24-7 and any little off uh, uh, supply air temp or or something like that is going to be like, hey, your supply air temp is starting to reduce. I know it's running, but maybe someone should come and check this because, I mean in a month from now, you might not have AC. So there's more stuff like that coming to the residential market. It's been kind of around in commercial for a very long time through the, 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 the building management system. So I think that is one of the major differences between the two. But I think Resi is starting to catch up just because 
we I think people are starting to see the real value in that, right? Is, is to being proactive to, to getting out to these calls before they break. On the last episode, I dropped the fact that WizHire is a new sponsor of the podcast and they're a hiring platform. So to make things easier, they've developed a platform where you can create a, a hiring ad within a couple of minutes and they implement their hiring coach to check out your ad and optimize it for the best strategy possible to find the best candidate. So if you're looking to hire in the skilled trades, Check out whizhire.com. About a month ago, I got to hang out with Paul Schubert, president of Rapid Locking Systems, at a, a vendor event, like a barbecue. And one of the things he said, which spoke volumes about the product, he's like, the things that the techs are concerned about, us at the company, we're not concerned about it all. And what he was talking about is like leaking, vibration, expansion, contraction, all that kind of stuff. He's like, we've tested this stuff through the ass. Like, we're not worried about it at all. The, the technicians in the field that haven't tried it, they're worried about it, but we're not. So that kind of speaks volumes about the product. I've pressure tested with it up to 600, pulled vacuums down to below 200 uh, microns. It, I mean, th- there's there's trust in that stuff from, from my perspective. So the industry is changing. Rapid locking systems, an alternative to brazing. You guys should probably check it out at some point if you haven't done already. Especially with the increased expenditure or just increased cost, bottom line, with residential equipment. Oh, no kidding. Um, That's a good point. Stuff's just more and more expensive, especially now, like for the, our friends in the United States, with changes to equipment uh, guidelines and ratings, like they're now moving into what's called SEER 2 equipment. Um, And there's a few other changes where everything's going to be two-stage. Um, potentially modulating inverter driven, the cost is just going to go up and up. So you're going to want to potentially put more money and investment into monitoring and maintaining those systems. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. And I think the inverter technology is incredible. Just the, what, what we can do with it. And there's people out there that don't really, I'd say it's not that they don't agree. They don't trust it yet. But I mean, I just commissioned before I left my last company, uh, a city, uh, city multi Mitsubishi city multi that I installed, like, I don't know, 16 or something years prior, uh, just decommissioned it. And the only reason we decommissioned it is because some of the parts were unavailable for that older equipment, but it was still running. It was still producing and it was still maintaining a server room. So, I mean, I really have a strong belief in inverter equipment. It is more expensive. And like you said, Matt, now is the time to, to start looking at a more proactive program just like we do in commercial and, and more high-end maintenance to make sure that this more expensive equipment is running for its maximum life. Jason, what do you think about that from the residential side? Yeah, it's the, our trade is so dynamic and how quickly it changes even too, right? Like what we would have talked about today, five years ago, if we had the same conversation versus now is just so different. Oh, I know. Um, I honestly enjoy it. There's a lot of people I know that I work with and, and network with who just, you know, they just want to be rooftop exhaust fan person. Right. And that's totally fine. But like, I just find this trade can be so interesting. It can, it can be as interesting and ex- as exciting as you want based on the path you choose and what you choose to educate yourself on. Um, it's literally limitless. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think the struggle one of the struggles anyway, is when you talk to commercial techs versus residential techs is you're dealing with different, uh, 
where the money comes from is different. It's personal money in residential, right? Most of the time, unless someone's running a business and can hide it, the repairs under their business because they have a home office, which a lot of people do now because of because of what happened with COVID and all that. But I mean, one of the major difference is where the money comes from. You're not dealing with someone's personal money. So a guy, a maintenance uh, manager, facilities manager, something like that. Yeah, the it's going to cost what twenty thousand dollars to change two compressors on that rooftop. Um, yeah, go ahead. It needs to be done. It needs to be done. But when it's a residential homeowner and it it costs that much to to fix or repair something in their own home, it's like okay, we got to start saving up for this because or it's going on a credit card or a line of credit and and they get worried and stuff like that. So that is, I think, the major um, difference between the two mindsets of, of how a commercial tech can roll into a building, come up with a list a mile long and go, okay, we need to fix all this stuff. And most of the time their list that the most important things get approved. Or if you go into a residential home and you have a list that long, it's like, um, is anything broken? No. Well, okay. I'll see, I'll see you next time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Get you out. Know what I mean, it's yeah. Get, get out. I don't, I don't <laughs> have the money to spend on this. Or residential customers complaining about the cost of certain components. When we've all seen those ads and memes and spoofs of a tech walking in with a residential tech walking in with a invoice to change out a part and it's X number of dollars and all of a sudden the homeowner logs onto a computer and finds it on eBay or Amazon or wherever and it's like, nope, it's actually this much cheaper. Um, let's go with the price I found online when trying to finagle and you know barter down the actual price given from the technician. We don't and really see too much of that in the commercial side. No, there you is don't. Some, but not as much. Y- you don't. And I actually talked to Jim Bergman about that. We had a podcast a little while ago, and he brought that up. And he didn't say it the way you did, but I just had thought of it differently when you said it. He's like, don't charge $250 for a capacitor, charge what the capacitor is worth, charge $250 for your time, for the, like the hour, bump up your, your labor rate. Right. And don't charge if, if that's the way it's going to be with the Amazon, oh, I can buy this capacitor for $10 on Amazon. Okay, sir, here's your capacitor for $10, but I'm charging you $300 to put it in because I got to test it. I know how to test it. Do you know how to test a capacitor? Um, I'm going to put the right connectors on. I'm going to fasten them properly. I'm going to do all this kind of stuff and I'm going to check the amp draw, your compressor after I'm going to run the system, check your superheat, your subcooling. Um, sir, do you know how to do all of that? Right? So, I mean, I think that that is a good angle to take when you have these haggling customers overprice charge more for labor because you can back that up. You can back that up with your license, the van outside, the insurance you pay, all of that, you can back it up with. You can't really fight the fact that you're charging $250 for the actual capacitor when they see it on Amazon for 10 bucks. That's, that's not going to fly these days. So you have to almost change up your, your business strategy. You got to charge for your knowledge. There's that old story of a nuclear plant that's about to go, you know, blow up and they call in one of the engineers or one of the guys who knows the most about the plant flies in goes down to a set of valves turns one valve everything goes back to normal and fine sends a bill to the nuclear plant a week later ten thousand dollars so the plant comes back with i want an itemized list of why this this expense 
$1 for turning, because they said all he did was turn a valve. He goes, yeah, $1 for turning a valve. And the rest is having the knowledge to turn that valve to to actually do the job properly. Yeah. It's get paid and don't underestimate or undercut your knowledge and experience. Mm -hmm. With the time it takes to do things too is like on the commercial side, it seems funny because I, I used to work a lot of residential and you're like, okay, well, to change out this compressor in a two-ton condensing unit at a house is going to take about a day, right, for a compressor change. But, like, you might work at a commercial place and you have to go get your keys, go get your parts, go get your keys, sign in at a different building, transport to the other building. And then maybe if you're working in, like, a sensitive area, you might need to have, like, an escort. Like, if you're at a police station or whatever, you might need to have an escort to get to the interior roof access and then bring everything up that way. It's just, it things take a lot more time. And if you forget something and you got to go back down, <laughs> it's like, I'll be back in 40 minutes. Like, you know, it's for, for real, because I don't know how many times it's happened to me. You start walking through the building and everybody's, oh, like, what's up with that? Oh, I got a problem over here. Like, can you come check this? You end up talking to five people, right? Go into your truck, find the thing you need, come back in. And then you got to walk up back to the roof and elevator might be broken. You're waiting for the elevator or, or who knows that this has happened to me a ton of times in, in, in bigger sites where it's just, it's just chaos if you forget something and you have to, you have to implement all of that time into a quote. Like if you're like, like if you just brought up a compressor change, I did a compressor change on a residential unit last week. People brag that, oh, I, I jump in and I get it in and out in three hours compressor change. I'm like, come on, like no way, even if it's a residential unit. So I did this one in about six and a half because it was a it was a conversion kit where I had to take a a resip tin can and convert it to a scroll. The piping had to be changed and proper vacuum and all that kind of stuff. So it was about six and a half hours or so, so maybe seven by the time I was all said and done and pulling out. But I mean, you got to take the time to do things properly, and if you're not doing things right, things are going to go wrong. And in the commercial side, you're kind of it's kind of a given that you're going to be quoting on the high end of time because of the hoops you got to jump through. And that could be site specific too, right, Jason? The amount of time. It's big time site specific. I, um, we joke, it's called the downtown tax. Like if you got to go downtown to, to go at a commercial building, like it's like, well, mm-hmm. you might as well add, there's no six hour days for a downtown site. Like it's just bill a day because you're going to s- spend time either moving the truck from spot to spot or can't find a spot in your parking blocks away or you might even need an apprentice or another coworker for the most silliest of tasks just because you need to be able to unload tools at the back loading dock and then go park your car but you can't leave thousands and thousands of dollars of goods in the back alley right like it's it's a huge process well it could take i mean you could be charging a thousand bucks to change a contactor in a downtown car yeah I mean, by the time you go pick it up, you drive down there in traffic, you park, you walk to the building, you go through all the rigmarole to get to where it needs to be. You change it, you test it. Then you got to drive out of the downtown core. I mean, it could be six hours, six and a half hours to change a, a contactor in a downtown core, right? So it's it's crazy. That's that's what I think when you get in online. This is what's this is what's funny about the online conversations. If if one person posts about something, hey, I was out here today and I did this. Well, the person in their mind, what they're thinking about is their world if they did that, right? Their world is totally different than the world out here. And the problem is is that nobody's got empathy for each other's job sites and jobs and what people are going through on on other sites. They just think about, okay, he's changing a compressor, 
Um, he said he, it, it took him a day and a half to change a compressor. It takes me four. Ha ha ha. Laughing emoji. I mean, you're a hack, right? But at the same time, they're not asking any questions. <laughs> what building were you? How long did it take to get to the building? What was wrong no. with the unit? Was it burnt out? Or is it this? Was it that? And nobody has empathy and everybody just wants to comment on what they do and how they do it rather than asking, Hey, what was the issue over there? Why did it take so long? I want to learn. And then when the person responds, well, it was this building, it was this big, it had three elevators. One was down. The other one was someone was moving. You know what I mean? There's just so many moving parts to what happens in a day. And I think we all have to be a little bit more patient with each other online when we're having these conversations. It's like, just like the old joke of like, if you post something about working on a big chiller or a big burner, there's always a mechanic on Instagram who's worked on one bigger, right? <laughs> oh yeah. 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 For sure. No, so there's some guy on LinkedIn. I don't, I can't remember his name, but he's so negative. Like, and LinkedIn's really not a negative person. And I was, I was messing around with those little mini Ambro controls torch sets in a video. And his, his comment to me was, oh, I see someone's not a a steam uh what does he say i see someone's not a union steam fitter i'm like when did i ever say i was a union steam fitter like what kind of comment is that no i'm not a union steam fitter like geez i do residential work i do commercial work i do whatever i i <laughs> union steam fitter so I, or pipe fitter or whatever he said i don't know it's funny surprised you didn't give him the comment back of hey bud do you need a hug <laughs> yeah yeah, that comes out once in a while. Just tag him on mean, that little bit. And- yeah, that comes out once in a while. So, I, I mean, what what else can we say about the, the differences between this? This, I mean, we, we can even go into the the industrial game as well. Like, I don't know how many how many stuff or how much stuff you've done with industrial, but I've done a little bit. And when you get into process, it it's another critical game, right, Jason? Where it's like that company is responsible for making a thousand of that today. And if something breaks down and they can only make 200, that Fs up the whole supply chain for everybody else. So the pressure is on. So have you done any process stuff, any industrial stuff? It might not even be Gary that they can only make 200. It might be that if it's stored in their clean room as like, here's where we're making the product and here's where we're going to put the finished product. They want to see the temperature and humidity or whatever they're doing at a specific range. And if it goes out of range, their product might be garbage if it's not completely sealed and hermetically finished how they're making it, right? So we're not just talking about like you might have dozens of people not being able to do their job. It's it's a whole day they're not going to get back of manufacturing part XYZ and and the waste and the throwaway of what they're doing, right? It's it becomes a little bit stressful, but it's also kind of fun because like when you get to finally hammer it out you kind of like become a little superhero anyway i like to do a little dance when you figure it out and you get her up and running or whatever right and everyone's happy to go back to work i guess because it's only fun to be in that range when they're you know once they had the coffee and they're like hey is that guy done fixing the thing yet it's like okay well he needs to hurry up because like we got we have to meet our quotas of what we need to do in the lab for the day right yeah you know what's the best Matt, you could probably attest to this because this has probably happened to you quite a bit in, in the commercial sort of world you're in. But let's say you're doing a job and like you're told, okay, you have four days to get this job done and you hustle and you plan and and you, you are very um, diligent about your work and you get it done in basically three 
And the next day is to go back and just kind of look over everything. Is it running still? Check this, check that little tweaks, little that day, especially if it's a Friday when everything's done and you're just going back for the finalization, that walk around and a little bit of paperwork. It's always a good feeling. It's always a good feeling to know that you spent the time, you did a good job. It was planned out properly. Everything went well. And now you have a day of just chilling and relaxing of potentially startup, a little bit of paperwork tweaks to the to the unit the system matt i'm sure you've been on a ton of job sites where it kind of works out like that where you have that kind of chill day at the end of the project just to kind of you know what i mean and have you actually have time for lunch right <laughs> or a coffee lunch. break What's or, that's a bonus. Yeah. yeah well yeah. I've, I've i've made matt i've forced matt to eat lunch on several occasions <laughs> matt we're having lunch today if right gary's a, a good manager of absolutely gary where are we going um, having those days where you can actually, you know, take those times to do those last minute checks and those last minute walkarounds. Yeah, they're great. And to be able to have those times, it, uh, does take that planning and you need to take, to steal someone's term, take five minutes to be a better tech, take that little extra bit of time to plan up front because it's going to save you time down the road. So a little case in point of what I'm working on currently these past couple of days is I'm doing controls retrofits on three medium-sized package rooftops. I think they're like 30-ton units. Um, controls that they're in the, that are in them right now are obsolete, um, and some of them are starting to fail. So there's a control package upgrade to bring those units up to current industry standard and the quotes are in and around a day to do the controls retrofit. Uh, if you have the wiring diagrams, which there's delays on getting those right now. So it's all coming out of here <laughs> to uh, make that conversion. And it's all coming out of swiftly right the, now. The people listening didn't, didn't they out don't of know the where you... little hat. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, out of the noggin. Out of the noggin. Yeah. <laughs> You're just have to watch the video bit of this. So. It's, yeah, because of the familiarity with the product. That's right. I can make those, you know, take that time up front because I have the familiarity with it and plan out exactly what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it. And then it makes the next retrofit go faster. So tomorrow we have one left to do. Should be one of those, you know, better days where it goes nice and smooth. And then we'll have some time to go have lunch, take my apprentice for lunch. Um, go have a coffee and then go tweak some of the programming on these units and make sure that they're working up to current standard, you know, do a, although we're not looking after them, do a semi small little maintenance on it so that the contractor looking after the equipment has that peace of mind and assurance that, Hey, if they come in and do their job, we've, uh, checked off a few boxes beforehand to give them that leg up. Yeah. I mean. I, I love, like I said, I love those days where you just kind of chill out. It's the last day of the project and you're just kind of tidying up loose ends and stuff like that. Um, I have worked in, in process a bit. And as you said, Jay, if, if, if the unit, um, that's responsible for that, the storage of the, the machinery is not keeping the, the right temp, the right humidity, all that, it, it could be a disaster, but I have been in scenarios where there's something down like a chiller, for instance, and it's part of a process. 
and because they can't complete the process because they have no chilled water, everybody is just sitting, waiting, right? They're sitting, waiting. The people in, in front of them are sitting, waiting. The people in front of them are sitting, waiting. And the longer they wait, the less product moves. The less product that moves, the less money that company is making. So it becomes a bit of a, a scenario where everybody starts to get into panic mode. And that's where, again, redundancy is a major thing. It comes, it comes in again. It seems like every co- conversation I have about anything to do with a critical environment, redundancy is, is top of mind because I've just been in so many scenarios where when it's there, it relieves any stress from, from anybody that's involved. In the absence of the redundancy, you're not going to, you know, in the absence, sorry, in the absence of, you know, not having that redundancy yet, things will break down and people will be waiting. You're going to have lost revenue. You're going to be paying wages where there's no production. And you're going to have potentially lost product as well, regardless of what that product is, whether it's pharmaceutical or even like mechanicals. Like there was a a facility I was on like half a year ago, I think. And they required a steam humidifier for one of their uh, glue ovens to maintain proper humidity for the glue to actually, it was a foam glue for that actually to rise to a proper height for it to then bond the two components uh, together in this manufacturing process for eaves trough plastic. And they didn't plan redundancy and the humidifier wasn't installed properly. And they had a bunch of other issues as well with the facility. And as I'm trying to work away on things, yeah, you get those eyes of, is this going to be back up and going or do we cancel shifts and then start losing income and revenue and then have people not potentially getting paid as well? So, you know, to try to find a solution as fast as possible, you know, you, like Jay said, once you get that fixed, you, you, you know, flick the little cape up and uh, <laughs> do your little Superman dance, right? I've worked on little um, process like limb machines. Limb is like liquid injection molder. So they take silicone from a huge like 55 gallon drum and they inject it into this mold to make this fuel cell. And um, if the chiller goes down, I think they have like an hour to purge the mold. And if they don't purge the mold in the hour, the silicone starts to seal up. And then if that happens, it takes two shifts to disassemble the entire assembly of the mold of this huge automated system to get all the silicone out by hand, like scratching it all out so they can go back into production. Yeah. That's crazy. Imagine having chronic or, um, kind of intermittent issues with, with, uh, with the process side of that. And you're having to do this like constantly on a weekly basis or something like that, because you haven't been maintaining or, or, or keeping your system up to par. Well, that was part of the problem they had, um, this was several years ago, but they had, um, I noticed that they had silicone in the water. The unit has a little water filter before it comes into the chiller. Um, and I was like, there's silicone in this filter and there shouldn't be silicone in the water. There's like a full on heat exchanger and a separation there. Right. And I said this to them like very sternly, like you will not get a choice. It will shut down on its own. It had a braze plate heat exchanger. So if you kind of figure out where I'm going yet, we're almost there. But uh, yeah, they didn't want to shut the process down. They wanted to let it run and play the cards and they let it run. And eventually the silicone got through that filter and it actually 
filled the water side of the braze plate full of silicone and then it shut down on low pressure and they had no water flow through the braze plate. So they had to cut out and do surgery on this um, chiller and they lost the whole process and they had to pull the molds anyway. Like it's bizarre sometimes. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of process facilities don't want to shut down production. Like they won't no matter what until something catastrophically fails. And then they're in the situation you're just saying, Jay. That's why they try to do shutdowns like annually or semi-annually and, and they shut down for like two weeks and they'll do, they'll change bearings. They'll, you know what I mean? They'll, they'll just start changing any sort of part that's wear and tear that could fail. They'll change it during that shutdown. So they have a full year of, of potentially no breakdowns. It's like taking your car in. Imagine you took your car in every year and you got the brakes changed just because, you know what I mean? You got the tires changed just because, and you spent that money. I mean, your breakdowns would, would start to, the, the, the trend in your breakdowns would start to drop off, but you're putting in a ton of money up front. It depends how valuable your car is to you. If your car makes you a thousand dollars a day, let's say throw it in every year, 10, $15,000 in repair, it's a no brainer because if your car breaks down and you're waiting for those parts and you're losing a thousand dollars a day, I mean, and you're out for, it just happened to me with my van. I mean, I just got my van back after two and a half months because I was waiting for parts and the, the whole, there could be like a whole backlog of different things. There could be a backlog of a part for a certain trade that couldn't fix a machine. It could be, it could be anything. And all these parts are backlogged still. We're still going through this from COVID, right? And I thought maybe I'd have my van back in a couple of weeks. No, two and a half months. And it cost me an arm and a leg because I had to rent a U-Haul van to drive in and I just got the bill for it and it's not pretty. I could have just financed another vehicle. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Well, no, I could I could have. For that two and a half months, it was like I think the bill came to like because it's because it's kilometer and it's per day. And you might shit your pants when I tell you, but it was like 10 grand for me to have that van for two and a half months. That's some substantial money, right? So yeah. I just imagine if your vehicle was down for as long as uh my typical work vehicle was, I mean, mine was down for, I think ours went down around the same time, Gary. Um, yours was down around Christmas, I think, right? Yeah. Yours were just slightly after? I was um, I right, at the end of, right at the end of February. Okay. So I was kind of mid waiting on parts because I was just over three months to get uh, replacement parts for for my regular work truck. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, we had a, another vehicle in our fleet, so we didn't incur the expenditure you did, but you can only imagine what your bill would have been if there was a tack on another month to that yeah, as well. Ex exactly. And it was it's, it would be almost worth, if, if I had to do the math, it, like, I mean, it would almost be worth having another vehicle that I'm leasing or, or financing because... If that ever happened again and I was down that long, I'd have this other vehicle to jump in. But the only problem is now that vehicle is just sitting there until I need it. That's kind of where the catch 22 that you're at. So it's not, that's not unsimilar to our customers though, right? Like if they, if we say to them, Hey, you know what? Like you, these motors here, they're in decent condition, but like, it's going to take us several months to bring them in if they're going to go down. So here's the cost. If you wish to stock them in your parts room and you can just keep these on hand ready to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or you do it like redundant equipment. You do, uh, 
alternating run times on those two vehicles. Yeah, switching out vans every every month. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, you, you got enough tools, Gary. You can outfit two vans full of tools. Oh my god. Yeah, I wish. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't have driveway space either. I need a shop. I need somewhere to lock it. That's the other thing. Things are getting stolen. I, I had some guy walk over to me the other day, uh, just to. He saw my van there. He's like, "Yeah, I made HVAC too," and and he had a he had his. Um, I can't remember what he said. He had an expedition or something like that. Like a, a high-end SUV, it got stolen right off his driveway. Keyless entry, um, tracked it to, I don't know, maybe 70, 80 kilometers away, kilometers, how many miles is that for the our US listeners? I'm not sure, but I mean, they tracked it to there and then, then they lost it. So this guy's out of vehicle and the the amount of time it takes to, and we're getting off of HVAC, we're just kind of getting in the supply chain, but it, it, it matters in this industry. Um, how long did he wait in that vehicle? Or how long is it going to take him to get the vehicle again that he wants through insurance? Because if I, if my vehicle in an accident was written off, the guy at Ford said, you're waiting two years for your same vehicle. I waited almost a year for it originally. If I waited for it again, it's going to be two years now. So he's like, if you're smart, when you get to about the three-year mark with that van, you're going to want to order another one if that's the vehicle you want, right? Order another one when it comes, if you want to swap, trade it in or whatever. When it gets there, you have the option of trading in or keeping it and having both at that point in time, but you better order another one about three years in just in case, which is, which is nuts because it never used to be like that. Like my van's dying. I need one in a couple of months, go to the lot, pick one and, and you're done. Now you see it also with equipment lead time as well. At least in the commercial world, we see uh, across different brands, substantially different lead times as well. Certain manufacturers that actually put capital investment into basically hoarding and stockpiling parts for their product can maintain that minimal lead time on equipment. And subsequently, they're seeing increased sales compared to their competitors. So, you know, imagine, like, let's take, you know, the residential application for, for instance, let's say, you know, brand X didn't manage their supply chain and to get one of their two ton, um, heat pumps, let's say it as a lead time of, um, 18 weeks, but brand Y they actually maintain their supply chain. They can get you one in three, four days. Now, who's going who's gonna to get those you know, sales? It's going to be the ones that actually manage their supply chain and won't have those you know, downtimes in production or shortages in parts. It's going to be you know, something critical across different brands to try to rebound from mm-hmm. moving forward. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so you wanted to talk about the lend us off. You wanted to talk about the contest, Matt, that um, the solder weld contest that's happening. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll drop a little hint of uh, what's coming up. So um, as a few of your follow listeners and uh, followers know, I was lucky enough to win the solder weld uh, hot block contest last year. So we had some people ask, I've had some people ask when's this year's contest kicking off. Well, for those uh, listening, it is going to start um, June 1st. So stay tuned for a 
announcement from Lance and myself. I believe Lance and I are going to do a little Instagram live announcement about uh, this year's contest. And it's going to be a lot bigger uh, than last year's contest as well. Nice. So last year we only had, there was only one product involved in the contest. Uh, this year, uh, take a look out for two products being involved in this contest. And it's going to be a product that a lot of people are going to be using moving forward out in the field uh, due to supply chain shortages. It's also one of Solder Weld's top selling uh, products that um, I'm excited to see the contest bags that come out for it. So uh, stay tuned for next week. It's going to be a blast. Nice. I got a story for you on that one, Matt. I was at a supply house and I despise supply house. I'm not even going to name the name, but they, I had to go there because I needed an OEM part for an OEM. Okay. And they lost my order. Big surprise, right? Like they're horrible local to me. This place is horrible. And then this guy walks in and he's looking for some residential equipment and he had a serial number and the guy's like, Oh, it's a six year old condensing unit. There's no more warranty left. It was his own condensing unit for his own house. And he said, okay, can I get a price for a new coil, condenser coil, or a new condensing unit? Because I would like to replace the leak. And I'm like, well, where is it leaking from? And then he's like, oh, it's leaking right where the aluminum meets the copper, right? And I was like, oh, okay. Um, this place doesn't have it. But if you go to this supply house, they stock solder well, then you're looking for this, this product over here. Give it a try. Maybe you'll be successful and you'll save yourself having to replace some equipment. And the guy walked in there trying to buy equipment and he left with just a quote and he was like very thankful. <laughs> nice. And all he has <laughs> to do is watch some uh, HVAC J604 um, brazing of uh, different cans for uh, tutorial, right? Yeah, there you go. Braze with J. Exactly. <laughs> was the, What's was your the hashtag, guy up, Was the counter guy upset that he, uh, sorry, was he, I was just wondering if the counter guy was upset that he, that he wasn't going to buy a unit from him anymore. Oh yeah. He had a face on him, oh. but like, you know what? Like I had a face on me too. I was there. And so I left and he didn't have my parts. And he's like, I, we shipped it out. And I'm like, no, you didn't. And then he gave me a tracking number and I forwarded it to my office and I left. And then, um, it turns out the shipping company never picked up the parts they're on their loading dock the entire time like so when i was there it was just 50 feet away from the dude on the loading dock waiting right wow so and you're that's... asking a hashtag jay yeah what hashtag do you got going on for this contest um well for one product um i don't know if i can keep saying excited i owe you like a massive royalty check for coming up with it right no lance was going to be paying me out i believe yeah oh perfect so we can keep <laughs> using it <laughs> so we do have one hashtag for the hot block product. Uh, this year's contest, if you do find an HVAC doctor hot block tub, it will be a HVAC J604 creation of hashtag block with the doc. And uh, stay tuned for uh, the hashtag for the other product that'll be part of the contest. Nice. Awesome. All right. Well, I mean, this good conversation, guys. I mean, an hour just blew by here. So, I mean, I don't even... I don't even know what we really talked about because there wasn't really, <laughs> we were going to talk about commercial service and it kind of went all over the place. So, I mean, it's just one of those, it's like listening to like Joe Rogan or something. You, they start with one thing and then they just go to the other and it just, anyway, um, thank you guys for your time tonight. It was, it was good talking to you for sure. Yeah. Thanks for having us on Gary. It was a pleasure, Gary. Thank you. Yeah. No problem. Good seeing you again, Matt. 
Good seeing you too, Jay. All right, guys, thanks for hanging out till the end. And if you're in commercial, you might be nodding your head at some of the stuff that, that we talked about. And you probably have noticed that some commercial customers are cheap. They, they don't like to spend money. They like to wait till things break down. And that happens, yes. If you want to get into the, the critical sort of environment world, you'll never run out of work because this stuff needs to be maintained regularly. Repairs need to be done or things break down. And most critical environments, the customers are well aware of that and they keep on top of their they keep on top of their repairs for the most part. So anyway, guys, Resitex, now you have a better insight to what some of the commercial world looks like. Happy HVACing, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.